What's doing, everybody? Today is Thursday, January 18th. Eric Trump joins me on the podcast today, along with Navy SEAL Team 6 operator Rob O'Neill. Plus, a combat veteran is fired from a major law firm because of a post he made on LinkedIn. I'm Alec Lace. This is The Alec Lace Show. The American family is under attack. Parents are the underdog of this nation. Your children are being indoctrinated. That's right. Your children. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the school system. They belong to you, the parents, as a blessing from God our Father. So let's preserve, protect, and fight for the American family together. You're listening to The Alec Lay Show. The future is family. Welcome, everybody, to The Alec Lay Show. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching the broadcast, and it's a big one, if you're watching live here on Rumble, please get down there, hit the share button, and share it with everybody in your network. Let's get as many people into this live broadcast as possible. While you're down there, hit the like button, take part in the chat, leave a comment, and follow the channel here on Rumble. This is a, this show is stacked today. I'm very blessed. Uh, I've got President Donald Trump's son, Eric Trump, Joining me on the podcast today, uh, there is so much to talk about, so much going on. The Trump campaign is on fire right now. The Trump train is rolling right along. So much momentum after the big, huge win in Iowa. So we've got a lot to discuss. Plus, uh, later in the program, Navy SEAL Team 6 operator, best known for killing Osama bin Laden, Rob O'Neill, will be here joining me on the podcast. But first up, There's a really, really important story that I want to bring attention to, and the reason why I'm doing it on this particular podcast or this particular broadcast is because I know that by having Eric Trump on the show today, it's going to draw a lot more eyeballs than usual. So first of all, if you are new to this podcast, if you're new to this show here on Rumble, please follow the channel and check out some of the amazing guests that I've been blessed to have have join me here on the podcast to talk about so many of these issues that are really just destroying the fabric of our entire society. Uh, So check out, you'll find Marjorie. Taylor Green, Rand Paul, Roger Stone, Dinesh D'Souza, uh, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. You're going to find all these different guys and gals that have joined me here on the podcast. Carrie Lake, uh, Judge Jeanine Pirro. So if you're new, scroll through the channel here and check out some of these interviews uh, that I've done on the podcast here. And I owe that all to you guys out there, to listeners and watchers that are keeping this show up there on the Rumble rankings. And keep it coming. So please follow the channel. But the reason why I wanted to discuss this story right now, look. President Donald Trump is getting attacked. The big, the big thing that they're trying to do is keep him off the ticket, and they're trying to do that by hook or by crook, and they're trying to do it through the legal process. They got 91 indictments against this man, and so if it can happen to him, you better believe it can happen to you, and it happened to a combat veteran, a Navy, former Navy SEAL and a friend of mine, Bill Brown. Now, Bill Brown is many things. If you've ever read David Goggins, one of his books, in David Goggins' book, He calls Bill Brown the white David Goggins, all right? They went through buds together. Uh, Bill Brown is a combat veteran, served in Iraq. Uh, He is also the founder of the Navy SEAL Swim across the Hudson River, which they do annually. And this past summer, I I was honored to make the swim, which was the most physically challenging thing I've ever done in my life, was to swim across the Hudson River. But Bill does so much for the veteran community. He's active in the veteran community. President of the Veterans Alumni over at Rutgers. He is involved in veterans. He's dedicated so much of his life to helping veterans. And what happened now, amongst all these other things, being a patriot, combat veteran, Navy SEAL, the whole bit, 
Amongst all of that, he is also a lawyer. And up until recently, he worked for McCarter and English, one of the biggest law firms that we have. Okay, and because Bill is a conservative, because he has conservative values, this law firm found a way to fire this patriot. And this is a left-wing law firm. There's no doubt about it. We have seen this left-wing Marxist communist ideology infiltrate all aspects of our society. Well, it's in the law field, in the law firms, and in the law schools. And I wanted to give Bill Brown this opportunity to share his story with you. So I'm going to bring him on first. And he's going to tell you exactly what's going on and what has happened. And pay attention, because what happened to him can happen to you. And it's happening to too many of us right now. All right, so he's got a very important story to share, and I'm going to let him do it. And then right after I have Bill on the show here, I'm going to bring on uh, the president's son, Eric Trump, is going to join me here. we got a lot to get to. And then right after that, Navy SEAL Team 6 operator Rob O'Neill will be here to close out the podcast. So it's a big one today. Again, get down there, hit the like button, follow this channel, and share this broadcast with as many people in your network as possible. All right, so let me put this up on the board. This is the post that Bill was fired for. He put this up on LinkedIn. I'm going to put it on a board here for you guys to read. It says, this is from his LinkedIn, I was a first responder to two suicide bombings in Iraq, and those experiences had an impact on my perspective. There are many beautiful and tolerant Muslims, but the textual language within the Quran is far from tolerant. In the 90s, the promotion of antisocial values and the glorification of violence and drugs portrayed in gangster rap had a huge negative influence on many young and easily impressionable uh, uh, American black youth. The pursuit of negative values leads to a trap, with the real result being a great loss of not even beginning to maximize one's personal growth potential. So he goes on in the post there now. They fire him for saying that this was racist, that this was all Bill is stating here are 100 percent facts. And this law firm, McCarter and English, posts. Now, Bill, I'm going to bring him on here to tell you the story for himself. They have their own posts that they put up, anti-Trump posts. It's not like they stay away and they shy away uh, from the political uh, correctness. They, They don't shy away from the political atmosphere whatsoever. They post their own and that's okay. But they fired Bill for this post. Now, I would love to hear the argument for where uh, gangster rap had a positive influence on the young black youth in America. I would love to hear that argument. Wouldn't that be a great debate? Let's sit down and you argue with me and tell me how this positively impacted young black Americans. But the truth is, there is no positive to it. So I agree with Bill here. But one way or the other, he has free speech and the right to speak his mind, which is what we're going to do right now and give him that platform to speak. And please do two things here. Listen to what this man has to say and share with your network, okay? So let's do this right now. Warman Navy SEAL, Bill Brown. Let me bring him on. All right. Joining me now, Bill Brown. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Bill, obviously, it's always an honor when I get a chance to talk to you. I wish I could be doing it under some better circumstances here. But we know right now, you know, we're facing problems in every aspect of our society. But to hear what's been going on with you uh, and your situation here is frightening. It's alarming. And this story needs to get out to the masses. So I want you to hit my listeners right now. And hopefully this thing will spread like wildfire once you get this out there. But tell us what's going on and what happened to you here. Well, I think there's a it's a small example of a, a much larger play out that's going across uh, our nation right now. One is the politiz- politicization 
of our jurisprudence. And then two is this great purge of basically conservative thinkers. And, uh, and that's what happened to me. If you look at uh, my law firm, my previous law firm, McCarter and Inglis, you look at their lobbying firm, it's stacked with Democratic operatives. Uh, they supported uh, Black Lives Matters and they're not so peaceful protest. So they're definitely, uh, in my opinion, uh, they're, they're a, a big left law firm. And, and I was purged out because my perspective uh, wasn't in, in line with, um, with what they're, they're about. And to me, if you don't have the right to speak about how you feel about things that are important that play out to all of us, like the right to free speech, what right do you really have? And so what happened here is there's a series of different events uh, where basically uh, my uh, opinion to express myself was being pressured and, and, and basically uh, I was pushed out because of it. Too many of my friends have died for this nation. I believe in the values of our Constitution, free speech, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, due process, equality. These all beautiful ideals that were trans and virtues that were transcribed in the Constitution. Now, one of the things I'm very concerned with today is what is what's happening here. If you look at the politicization of of basically our our criminality prosecution system, where currently President Trump, who's the leading front runner for and the most likely nominee is facing 91 felony counts uh, and four criminal cases by, in my opinion, is what is political hack prosecutors. And so what's happened here is, and if you look at you, one of the greatest threats to democracy right now is lawyers, right? Because it's trying to subvert the will of the people to, to decide who we want to be president. And so if you look what happened with the, in Colorado, where you had their Supreme Court all democratically appointed justices. And what happened there is they tried to take him off the ballot. And so what happened before with Trump is when they, he, they took him off LinkedIn, they tried to minimize his right to his free expression. And that's what's happening here to me. So I'm a, conser I'm a conser conservative thinker. I'm an outspoken thinker. And there's a series of events here. So in this, in this, uh, this post, what I did is I, I, I state the fact that I was a first responder to two suicide bombings. And then I talk about the textual language. And I, I go on to also say about there's many beautiful Muslims. And there are. But the, I, I met Antonin Scalia, Justice Scalia, once at the uh, Union Club in Philadelphia. And he had this constitutional train of thought where you took the words at their objectively clear and unambiguous meaning that they had in your understanding of what they meant. And so with that train of thought, one of the things that I state, as I state, there's many beautiful uh, Muslims that are tolerant, but the language in the Quran is not tolerant. They try to state that I was promoting negative stereotypes of Muslims and black Americans. That's not true.
I stated that Muslims, there's many beautiful Muslim Americans, but the truth is the language, the textual language in the Quran is not tolerant. And, and it does. And also the truth is that 90s rap music, a lot of the hardcore gangster rap was far and did promote violence and, and, and drug activity. You can look at the lyrics and, and, and numerous NWA songs, numerous DMX songs, numerous Mob Deep songs, all in the 1990s and many more. And you could see that that point is objectively truth. And so I, and then I go on to say that it's, it's my opinion that there's a radical culture within an Islamic world that promotes anti-social values and glorifies violence and that this has a devastating impact on millions of young and easily influenced lives. And you know what? It's true. I've been to the Middle East. I've been to Iraq. I want to war with jihadists. Okay, it's a sin how many lives this, these anti-social, uh, um, radical part of the Islamic world promotes. So what they used is, this is the same law firm, McCarter and Inglis, that paid me for six years and 10 months, substantially less than other associates doing the same quality work. This is the same law firm that has had repeated incidents where I felt that their behavior towards me was negative because of my because of the fact that as an outspoken conservative navy seal and so i can just go over a couple incidences i think uh one of the uh, uh biggest ones for me is when the firm sent out it sends out their uh dni committee sends out numerous posts celebrating many different occasions and i believe in diversity i really i don't have an issue with it here is the same firm that literally has an office in Manhattan and didn't send out an email about 9-11. And so I addressed it. I sent an email to the DNI committee saying, hey, what's going on? And, it, and they ghosted me at first when I used strictly the DNI committee address. But then when I included all the members on that uh, uh, committee, I finally get a response back. And some of those uh, committee members include Federal District Judge Jose Linares, now Superior Court Judge Natalie Wilson, who's a, uh, a big LGBT advocate. And she actually chastised, here's it now, a Superior Court Judge in New Jersey who chastised my response. And here I was, a, a, a Navy SEAL on 9-11, just send an email saying, hey, what's going on? How come you're not sending the email honoring and remembering 9-11? And so, so I get chastised by the, the committee. There's issues that, um, that go on. Uh, I was asked to uh, attend a Third Circuit appeal argument. And this occasion, they, they took place in Newark Federal Courthouse. Uh, afterwards, they had a Q&A. I was very proud of the, my da dialogue with the, the three-judge panel. And I was also proud because in the background, behind the judges in this panel, they had a huge, beautiful moral painting. 
and it was of the founding fathers signing the Constitution at Independence Hall. And one of the things I reflected was that a lot of those individuals were veterans and lawyers, similar to myself. And so I took a picture of it, and in that, and I described, I described how proud I was and it, the experience. The next day, I'm asked by William Wallach, who's an uh, equity partner at the McCarter and English, verbally to take to take down the post. And he stated it was disrespectful uh, to the court. Now, I didn't want to be disrespectful to the court, but I stated, uh, hey, I, no one asked me not to take pictures. But out of respect for the court, I took down a post. It's the only post I took down. And there's several posts that they chastised me about, even though they made like uh, they made many political posts, uh, especially regarding the Trump indictments. Uh, which were in their legal analysis, and the vast majority of them, in my opinion, was anti-Trump. But uh, so I was kind of shocked that I had I was asked to take down this post because I was very proud of my experience there. So then, what's the next thing that happens? I looked on LinkedIn in in Guillermo Arteles, who was uh, an attorney for Democratic New Jersey uh, Governor. Phil Murphy, and he's also the son-in-law of Jose Linares, uh, a retired federal district court judge. And he has a post of the same courthouse on the same day on LinkedIn. And in his post, he actually has one of the judges in it. And guess what? I doubt sincerely that anyone asked him to take down his post because it had many, many partners on my firm that liked it. And because he was celebrating the um, swearing in ceremony of the second uh, Latino or Latina federal district judge. Now, to be sincere, I don't have an issue with him making his post. What I have an issue with is here's a guy who married a federal district judge's daughter. And he was an attorney, most likely because of the connections with the judge for the governor of New Jersey, a Democratic judge, and he has the right to free expression to share his experiences in the same courtroom on the same day. But McCarter in English tells me I don't. And I'm a combat veteran Navy SEAL who used a GI Bill to go to college. So that and freedom of expression, like I said, is extremely important to me. And so there was another experience that I found alarming. And this actually had to do with federal district judge Jose Linares. And here's the reason why I found it alarming, because I am concerned, as I said earlier, about the politicization of American jurisprudence. Now, I respect uh, Judge Linares. And so I he was teaching his CLE. So I went out of my way to attend the CLE. But I was concerned about the CLE because I began to think, in my opinion, that he was promoting a certain political agenda. And, it, and, it, and I'll give you the reasons why. One of the things he was stating is he was stating that today's day, the way people can uh, are now gender fluid, that it is offensive to 
addressed the jury as ladies and gentlemen of the jury. And that instead of addressing the jury as ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that we should address the jury as people of the jury. Now, I was concerned because basically this is like political indoctrination. I don't think it's offensive to address the jury as ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Okay, I think what is offensive is the fact that Judge Linares, when he was a federal district judge, there was an individual named David Sampson. And David Sampson, he was uh, a you know, previous New Jersey, New Jersey Attorney General. And then he became the chairman of the Port Authority. While he was chairman of the Port Authority, he would, later on, he had some involvement in what happened with the George Washington Bridge being shut down. Or maybe he had some type of notice. But he had to resign because of it. After he resigned, Newark Airport, United Airlines, basically put it out there that they believed he was, they were being shaken down by David Sampson to have his own private flight once a week to this mansion down in, in, in uh, I believe it's Georgia. Now, one of the things that was, uh, so this case comes before the uh, Judge Linares. And here's an individual who had the corruption at such a, a, a high level where he's shaken down airlines for his own private flight. Uh, and he held the highest offices in government in New Jersey, attorney general, and then he's the chairman of the New York, New Jersey Port Authority. Instead of sending an example of, uh, of, of basically, we're going to make sure our highest officials are held accountable and for extreme corruption and extortion, Judge Linares sentences him to one year to his multi-million dollar mansion estate that he had his private plane fl flew to. So I wanted to shed a light that here you, in my opinion, you had a federal district judge who's a partner at McCarter and Inglis. And his moment, on his moment, to send a symbol for all the politicos in New Jersey and, through, and, and throughout the nation that they're going to be held accountable for extreme corruption in this course. What did he do? He gave him a year at his multi-million dollar mansion. Now, I found that offensive. And the other thing was, I found it offensive that here's somebody, instead of teaching the law, was basically promoting, and, and jurisprudence was promoting political indoctrination. Because reasonable people can disagree on gender fluidity. And I don't think it's offensive to address the jury as ladies and gentlemen of the jury. And so and so you were saying, Bill, that they gave him house arrest at the mansion. Is that what he got for a year? That was all he got for that? For shaking down an airline to the extent where they had to go out of the way and have they used to call it the chairman's flight. So the chairman would get a flight. Once a week to his basically so he didn't have to drive down south so he could get a flight closer to his mansion. So that's what he got. He got he got he got a house arrest. One of the other things I found very alarming is. I'm the president of the Veterans and Alumni of Rutgers University, and one of the things I tried to do as president as I reached out to Rutgers and I tried to establish set aside internships for veteran students. 
And one of the reasons I did that is because when you have other internship programs, a lot of times, and it's my belief that veterans are kind of getting washed out of it. And so by having set aside internships strictly for veterans, I felt they wouldn't get washed out. They'd have a set place for them. And so that's one of the things I advocated heavily for being president of Veterans Alumni of Rutgers University. By doing that, I built a relationship with, guess what, certain members at Rutgers. So because of that, I received an email from the um, from a Rutgers uh, a dean at the Rutgers uh, Law School in Newark. And uh, I believe her name is Beth Avicito. And so she reaches out to me and I'm invited to the Rutgers Annual Law Night. And so one of the things I do is I send a, uh, I let my, my firm know. And one of the things that happened is I receive an email about a week later. And basically it's, I'm, she's, the dean replies, hey, I'm sorry, the, uh, we'll get back to you. I reached out to you too early. Um, I was contacted by your, your HR department at McCarter and they want to decide who represents the firm. So I, uh, I, I was devastated. I was insulted. I felt humiliated, humiliated. Here I am, a, a, a Navy SEAL. Here I am, the president of Veterans Alumni of Rutgers University. And now I'm being disinvited to uh, attend the Rutgers annual uh, law school dinner event, night event, because my HR department, why I I send a couple emails, it comes back, they say, oh, it's some type of miscommunication, I get re-invited. When I I attended the event, guess who was there? Guillermo Attilis. The guy who's the uh, counsel for for Governor Murphy, the guy who's the son-in-law for the uh, uh, Judge Linares, the guy who was fast-tracked a partner, and guess what? Now he runs the lobbying group at McCarter and Inglis, which is stacked with Democratic operatives, right? And so he's there, and they push me out. And so... Uh, I was pretty disappointed in that. Another big issue that had happened that really bothered me is I had a buddy named Shannon Rose. Shannon Rose and and his son, Shannon's a SEAL. So they decide they want to practice their and exercise their right to free speech and free assembly. And they they attended January 6th March. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't go inside the Capitol. They just attended the march. They get contacted by the FBI. He's concerned that him and his son are going to face charges. He believes him and his son are going to face charges. Shannon did the New York City SEAL swim their first year with me. He reaches out to me. He says, hey, I'm scared. Me and my son are scared. I don't know what to do. He says, can you help me? I said, Shannon, I'd love to help you, man, but that's not that's not the type of law I really practice. I said, you know, you let me reach out to my firm. There's a lot of federal prosecutors there. We should get a recommendation. And so just so you know, my firm's been trying to push, in my opinion, trying to push me out for a long time. Paying me low, hoping in in, in, in buds, we would call a dropout on request, right? And so the acronym for that is, is DOR. In my opinion, they were trying to get me to DOR by pay, not paying me as 
lower, substantially lower than the vast majority of associates for six years and 10 months. And in turn of that, giving me a vast majority of my cases, civil defense cases for child molesters. You have no idea how much that bothered me, but that is the only work they they, they would give me. The, it, it, it was some of the hardest things I had to ever do defending those child molesters. That's that's how I will never forgive McCarter and English for that ever. And so, so anyway, I tell my buddy, I said, hey, man, I said, I'm going to reach out to him. So I, I reach out to a former federal prosecutor. His name is Robert Mitz. He's a he's a, a partner at McCarter, equity partner. And actually, uh, he runs the Newark office. And he's actually a, a guy who makes numerous LinkedIn posts uh, regarding uh, the Trump indictments. And he's on Washington Post all the time uh, and the uh, and many blogs. And the, in my opinion, the vast majority of his legal assessments are anti-Trump. So I reach out to him. He says, hey, uh, reach out to Alexander Major. And Alexander Alexander Major is a partner. I believe he's in the government contracts group. He's based out of Washington. He's the only veteran on the uh, DNI committee because I asked to be on a DI committee, and they said, "Well, they already have a veteran. They didn't. They didn't want me anywhere near that thing." So I reach out to him, to Alexander Major, and uh, and the other uh, former prosecutor on, on there who does defense work is Jeff Rosen. They're all copied on the emails. I said, hey, I got I got a buddy of mine. He's a former SEAL. He's, you know, explained the situation. He's worried that he's going to get prosecuted for his involvement in January 6th. Not what I basically got, and you could show your viewers the email response as a as a as a, uh, as a FU, as the to pompicity is basically it's beneath them to even recommend a self-defense attorney. Now here they are giving me, having me represent these child, uh, alleged child molesters on these case, these self-defense cases. And one of the only ways I could look in the mirror is I say, I believe in due process. Uh, everyone deserves the, the right to have a fair trial. Everyone deserves to have good legal representation. And that's how I justified it. And here they, they in my opinion, they didn't care about due process. It, they were so politicized, they didn't care. And instead, here's a guy who served his country a seal. Him and his son are worried. They just and, and they just participated in their right to, to, to free speech and the right to free assembly. And they're and they're worried about you know being prosecuted by federal uh, agents. So uh, there's a lot of different things going on that I could go into. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot more that I could dive into. But I think the overall picture I'm, I'm painting is this. Law firms and law schools are becoming very politicized and they are purging conservative thinkers. And I am concerned. And I think that's bleeding into some of these politis- political prosecutions that are seriously dampering our electoral process, and it could have a huge effect on this presidential race. And like I said earlier, 
right? First they stop, they limited Trump's ability to speak about things, right? And then all of a sudden they limit our ability to speak about things. I can't tell you how many other SEALs that got shut down on various social media platforms because they had issues with the COVID mandates. Think about how many businesses shut, got shut down there. And so we talk about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. I really don't have uh, a good likelihood of getting hired at any big firm now in the state of New Jersey. Now, I I was blessed because I got picked up by Tim Parlatori at the Parlatori Law Group. He's a renowned attorney, and he's renowned for a lot of different things. But one of the things is he he absolutely helped another SEAL named Eddie Gallagher get acquitted in a case where NCIS was literally um, tapping into his emails and monitoring the attorney-client confidentiality emails, basically putting their hand on the scale. And despite all those odds, Tim Parlatori was successful in helping Eddie Gallagher get acquitted. I remember so, that story, Bill. I had Eddie Gallagher. I did an interview with him right after he got released. Uh, I know Trump had played a part in that as well. Uh, listen, we, we have seen this infiltrate just about every aspect of our lives here, Bill. We're seeing it, obviously, in the college universities. We've seen it. We've seen it all through the media. We've seen it all through Hollywood. We see it in these pro sports leagues. We're seeing it. We saw that all through the Black Lives Matter. They all supported that. And then now they have nothing to say. No apology after Black Lives Matter turned out to be totally fraudulent and just suckered people out of money and then went and bought mansions with the money and did nothing to help anybody in the black community. We don't get an apology, even though they were begging their viewers to donate, donate, donate. And they did. And there was no return on the investment. So we're all sick and tired of seeing it. But I I wanted to give you the platform today, Bill, to have a chance to be heard and to get this story out there, because like I said, it's infiltrated every other aspect. And now it's in the law firms. It's in the law schools. And this is why we're seeing what's happening to Donald Trump. And just like Trump said, he's just in the way. They're really after you. Uh, So I hope and pray that the listeners will take this story and get it out there to the masses. And and, and I'll be praying for you because I can't stand your I know you very well, Bill. Uh, There's no greater American. Uh, you put on that New York City Navy SEAL swim event every year. That I don't think there's a better patriotic event in New York City all year long. You do so much to help the veterans, and I'm proud and honored to know you, and I'm sick of seeing what has happened to you, man. And I pray to God uh, that this story will be blasted out there. And McCarter and English, uh, they're just, I think, a small drop in the bucket compared to what we're really facing in this country with all this woke ideology and this DEI agenda that's just infiltrated our country. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for giving me a voice when no others would. I, You know, think about this. Learn from the lessons of the Holocaust, right? It's First it was Trump. Then it was everybody else, right? If, if There's nothing more important than freedom of expression. If you don't have the right to talk about things freely that you feel are important, what right do you really have? And when you see people like me who are speaking up, getting purged, because they're attacking my livelihood, my ability to earn a living now is, is, is a question mark, right? But I, they hold it, their woke ideology and their woke zealots, they're proud of the fact that they got rid of me. But you know what they don't understand? I remember Martin Luther King, and I remember how he had a watershed moment when he had everybody – marching to Montgomery and he saw how those police would overreact 
and it was in everybody's TVs how wrong that was. And we had a similar watershed moment here when he had the presidents of MIT, UPenn, and Harvard on the congressional hearing, and they couldn't even say it was against student policy to promote genocide against Jews. And that got into everybody's TVs here and in, in, in the country. And we, the people, we said, hey, something's wrong here. Well, I'm going to tell you now, something's wrong in our law schools and big law firms that's bleeding into our judicial system. Okay? I, if you don't have a fair right to a fair trial and it's complete political kangaroo court, we are in trouble. Yeah. Well, Bill, a- a- amen to that. And I, I, you know, I'm very grateful that you're sounding the alarm on this, that you're you're willing to speak about it because it needs to be heard. And I- I'm definitely going to be in touch. I'm going to blast this out. And I, I encourage all the listeners uh, or anybody listening or watching this, clip it, share it, get it out there on social. And, uh, and let's get the voice. Let's get the word out there. So, uh, Bill, um, you know, I'll be in touch with you. Thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of time and sharing your story with me and the listeners today. Thank you. All right. It's an honor to have uh, Bill Brown on the podcast here. Uh, Again, I I know Bill. Uh, I've been on many adventures with him. I swam across the Hudson River with him and his teammates. What has happened to him is a travesty here. What has happened to him should be alarming to every American in this country, because if it can happen to him, it can happen to you. And we are seeing this this poisonous DEI infiltrate all aspects of our world right now, and we've got to fight back. And and talk about, look, what happened. They don't even want to touch January 6th. Oh, you took part in January 6th? You're one of the biggest criminals on the planet because you marched on Washington in favor of Donald Trump because they stole the election from Donald Trump, and they're going to steal it from him by hook or crook. Come around next time. Uh, So what Bill had to say is important, and I pray to God that you guys will at least share... with as many people as you can, just to get his voice out there and get his story out there. It needs to be told and it needs to be a warning uh, to so many Americans out there. So I appreciate Bill and his time this morning uh, sharing his story, or this afternoon, I should say, uh, sharing his story with me. And so now one of the men who is being targeted by the corrupt court system is President Donald Trump. And this guy is going through the ringer right now because they're going to do whatever they can do to keep him off the ballot. And the best way to do it is through this law. The best way they think they can do it is through this law. And that's why they've indicted him 91 times, making him go to court, making him, uh, you know, for these bogus charges that are all trumped up charges that have they they hold no water. uh, But they're persecuting this guy. And so Eric Trump has had to endure this along with the rest of his family. So I'm going to bring him on right now. There's a lot of catching up to do. I've done two interviews with Eric Trump on First Class Fatherhood. Uh, I know the Trump family has been through so much. And so let me bring on Eric right now. and Let's get to it. All right, let's do this. Joining me now, Eric Trump. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Alex, good to be on, my friend. Hey, it's great to see you. I know, uh, listen, unfortunately, your family has suffered a lot of loss since the last time I seen you. So, I mean, my condolences to you and your family over there. And I, I remember just seeing, you know, after your mom passed away, the viciousness that we saw online with the wrong Trump they were t- trending and all that stuff. So uh, aside from everything else that comes at you, uh, it, it's amazing that the type of viciousness you and your family have to endure. Well, there's a lot of viciousness in society. There's no question about it. I think there's a lot of people who become keyboard warriors. They never say it to your face, but you know when they can sit behind a you know a, a laptop on their you know, parents' basement, they're willing to say almost the unthinkable. And um, I think society's changed a lot. You know, I, I would I would venture to say something probably controversial in that 
you know, 30 years ago, I think Mike Tyson said it best 30 years ago, that same person would have gotten punched in the face. They would have never, never done it again. And, you know, now all of a sudden, again, when you hide behind screens and in basements and, you know, behind total anonymity, um, you know, in society, there's not a lot of consequences for, you know, being crude and, and crass and, and nasty and, you know, in, in unthinkable times. Right. And, and, and you see it on both sides of the, you know, it's just, it's the modern era and, and, and technology has probably exacerbated people's ability to, you know, to say things that they wouldn't otherwise in a normal construct. Yeah, no doubt about that. Well, Eric, I, listen, I interviewed you twice on First Class Fatherhood. I launched this show the same week that Joe Biden made the statement saying there's no such thing as somebody else's kid. These are all our kids. When he started to say this Marxist rhetoric and then the press secretary backed him up parroting that same notion, I said, no, 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 enough's enough here. Uh, I can't keep my mouth shut about this no more. Uh, you know, right now there's a war against parents in this country. There's a war, a battle for the mind of the kids in this country. So it's going to take, and I believe in my heart, Eric, that it's going to be the parents that are going to save this country they're the ones that are going to step up and overwhelmingly help us get back to making america great again in 2024 well no question i think you've already seen so many of those parents revolt i mean i i think you've seen so many moms they've been i mean, look at the loudon county moms who literally went crazy on the school you know the school district for some of the indoctrination some of the lessons they were teaching them you know you these moms come forward and say hey stop with this nonsense you know I teach my kid how to read write um you know, it, it teach them what school should ultimately teach them and stop putting concepts and ideas that otherwise scare them or or misalign them in their heads. And, and frankly, there's a whole governorship that was, you know, that was a Republican governor got in in a state that was, you know, fairly blue at that point. You could maybe call it purple, but it's really kind of blue at this point because mom stood up to the nonsense that was happening in, in one county school district. And and they did so viciously. And and you're seeing that. I mean, Alec, I, I'm seeing it every single day. Look at the revisionist history. You you open up some of these textbooks, you know, use Russia as the example. You open up some of these textbooks and now they'll have things that, you know, Donald Trump colluded with Russia, even though, you know, that was investigated for three years. And it was a total made up hoax by Hillary Clinton, paid for by Hillary Clinton. The whole thing was a sham. But they want revisionist history. They want to write their account of events. And and that's deeply troubling. And, you know, back to kind of technology where we started is more troubling today than ever before, because. Guess what? It's very easy to go in and change somebody's Wikipedia. You know, you're not trying to modify printed pages in a book, which is very hard. You know, that gets stored in some library somewhere. You can literally go in and change a footnote or substitute out an article for another one or have an article written and then reference that article. And you can really contrive history or you can just delete it all altogether. And, you know, I can't tell you how many of my father's great accomplishments when he was in office. They've literally tried to delete. They, they, they don't want it to be remembered by history as great as they were for the United States of America. And I think for our youth and for education and, 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 and learning at school, I think that's an incredibly, incredibly dangerous um, and slippery slope to go down. Yeah. And, and you know, Eric, I, I, I think it was Jim Rohn that said this. It's like, you have to be aware of the thief on the street that's after your purse, but you also got to be aware of the thief in your mind that's after your promise. And our kids are too young to know. And so when they're like that, we have to protect and be the gatekeepers of their mind because these schools, and I know you got young kids there too. It's, it's, they are indoctrinating the kids with all of this stuff. And it's like, you, you really have to be on hyper alert. And I think it's almost so sad that we can't even just trust in the fact that we could sit down, put a movie on for our kids and trust that they're not the first scene. It's going to be two guys making out and, uh, you know, just throwing all this stuff, men playing. I've never met these 
people in person, Eric, that agree that there should be a grown man using the bathroom with their daughter. I don't. I haven't met these people. I see them on TikTok. I see them on TV. I never see them in person. Every parent, I, I work for the railroad, a lot of Democrats, a lot of different political opinions. Not one dad that I work with says they think it's a good idea for a man to share a locker room or a bathroom with their daughter. So I don't understand how that talking point gains any traction with the Democrat movement. And it's got to be shot down wherever it's discussed. Well, it's also hard to believe. How is he even part of the curriculum, right? You, you use the example of two guys making out. I don't care if it's a guy and a girl making out. I don't care if it's two girls making out. Like, how about you just not let my six-year-old son watch people making out? I mean, it, it's to me, it's actually much simpler than that. Teach them how to read and write. Teach them the history of our nation, but the accurate, undoctrinated history of our, our nation. Teach them how to spell. Teach them proper grammar. Teach them how to how to use keyboards and technology, teach them engineering and physics, right? I mean, teach them calculus and algebra and all the subjects that are important. And by the way, whatever their individual skill is, you know, make sure they're great athletes, make sure that they're confident in themselves, right? Like we don't need to have them watch a guy and a girl make out or anybody make out. That, that, this, this shouldn't be part of the curriculum. It's unnecessary. You know, they're going to see plenty of that nonsense in their lives, Right. I mean, society's not shy from showing that they're going to see plenty of it in there. Don't do it in a school. You know, just just teach your kids and do so unbiasedly. It, it, we're, we're not asking for a whole lot. And, you know, what, what's insane is, I mean, again, going back to the governor of Virginia, I mean, you're the former governor. This is not the parents job to educate their children. Oh, oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. And I think it was that statement that probably cost that whole governor's race. But, you know, I mean. You know, parents have have unique values and, and and thought processes, and they should be able to convey those to their children, who are going to convey whatever they want to their children. But this this should not be done, you know, based on the votings of a radical school board, um, you know, who's comprised of I, doesn't make any sense. And and I and I, I really do think that that backlash um, in our country um, has been powerful, and and, and I think frankly that. That fight, at least as it pertains to school systems, has almost already been won just based on how um, the visceral reaction that parents had to it. Yeah, and look at the press, the uh, education secretary, Cardonas. He he parrots that same line that the, the teachers know better for their kids than their parents do. And you're not going to win any friends over by saying that and insulting all the parents out there by saying, oh, we know better than you do about what's right for your kids. So uh, it, it, it's just been a disgrace to see what's happening. I'm I'm sick of seeing the attack. Listen, and you know, I harp on it, too, is we've got a fatherless crisis in our country. We've got a fatherless, we got a godless, and we got a lawless society right now. Those three things are crippling. Obviously, the border is the number one, I think, political issue. But inside this country, it's godless, fatherless, lawless. If we can't get that trifecta under control, we don't stand a shot in this country. I, I agree. We, we need a lot more faith in this country. We need a lot more um, fathers in this country. We need certainly in a lot of cases, parents to be more more engaged. And it was funny. Uh, the first time you and I did this, I just had young kids and, you know, I, I was trying to figure out fatherhood and uh, trying to figure out parenting. And I think I've come a long way, right? And in six years, you can come a long way. And with two kids, you kind of, you know, figure out what works, what doesn't, you know, where you need to realign. It actually teaches you a lot about yourself. I think it teaches you a lot of confidence and, you know, matures you in a certain way. But I think uh, the one interesting thing that I, I would realize today that I probably wouldn't realize the first time we talked about the subject is actually the dy dynamic of both parents. And I don't think it has to go one way or the other, but you know, my wife, God bless her. She is a phenomenal, Laura, she is a phenomenal mother. And she, I mean, the kids come first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. I travel 200 days a year, right? I, I, I you know, I can't have 
and I love my kids and I say prayers with them every single night. If I, if I, if I'm not there, I'm on FaceTime with them at eight o'clock. We're saying prayers. We say the pledge of allegiance. We say three prayers. You know, I ask both the kids what they're thankful for. They tell me, and I, I don't want it to be like, you know, generic. I want it to be meaningful to the day and the context and everything else. Uh, and they go to bed and I, I, I try and be as present as a guy who is in our world can, can possibly be right. I mean, it's really in, important to me. The kids also know if they mess up that they're going to hear from me. Um, and you know, I, I play a little bit of a, a, a different role. Um, you know, in, almost as a authoritarian, and they don't want to mess up because they don't want to either disappoint dad or, or you know, they don't want to be put in a very long time out by dad or be disciplined by dad, right? And, and, and so, you know, I think having that counterbalance is really important. I think it's hard for a, one parent to play two roles. And I think Laura's is probably a much harder role than, than mine is um, in, in so many ways. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure if you could play this role and also play this role. They almost cut against one another, right? It's, it's we joke about it in business, it's the good cop, bad cop type thing, right? And 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 I think you need that. And I think that's why, you know, the combination of of, of two parents taking different roles on the upbringing of kids is is critically important. And and God bless, there's so many single moms out there that do a phenomenal job. There's so many single dads out there that that do a great job. Um, but the crisis that we are facing in this country is is terrible, um, where you have fathers walking away from families, leaving them nothing, not supporting them, not not doing this. And, you know, I, I think the ramifications, if you could really quantify what the ramifications of that are, um, I, I think, I think it would open a lot of eyes. It would be open a lot of eyes, you know, uh, what, what that means to a kid long-term, what that means to substance abuse, what that means to, um, you know, educational levels, uh, career paths, um, having different mentors uh, on different sides of, of, of a spectrum in somebody's life. Um, having the nurturing on one side, maybe having a little bit more of the gritty on another. Um, I think it develops different characters in different ways that become manifested throughout a, a person's life that are incredibly important. And I think when that becomes um, singular, um, I think it's uh, it's ultimately detrimental to a kid and can ultimately um, have them not develop maybe the same way. Um, and so I think that nuclear family is just critically critically important to our to our country to an individual and um and we should strive for it whenever we can understanding that there are unfortunate situations obviously that are out of people's control but you know we we, we definitely need fathers to step up there's no question yeah and, and i would add too that the family court system is a major major problem with this issue as well that forces so many good dads out of their kids lives unfairly yeah. so that's something that's got to be addressed uh when we whenever i have this conversation i, I never want to forget to say that because i always get blasted with so many emails from dads that are great dads uh that are fighting they've gone broke they've been humiliated and they're doing everything they can just to get a piece of time uh with their kids and that's something that i wish would be addressed more uh i don't know how we could handle it because i'm not the politician guy but i i, I think that there is something that can be done to help you know from that side of it and help these dads get back in their kids lives there's no question about it at the same time let me give the contrarian view for a second because i think that's important i would say that you know we're in the we're in the golf business and and the golf business changed tremendously i'm gonna get to the you know the parenting aspect of it but you know the call it 50 years ago you know golf courses were largely male you know father would go show up with their buddies they'd play golf they would have a bunch of cocktails smoke a couple cigars and they would leave early they'd come back very late um it's almost no longer acceptable. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you have kind of male-dominated golf clubs in, in this country. You certainly do. But very few of them, other than maybe a couple elite ones that you hear about on TV, but very few of them work anymore. 
uh, the golf courses, most of those have, have fallen to oblivion and, and in most cases gone bankrupt because I think society has actually almost dictated that the family acts more as a unit today than it than it has in the past. This is absent, you know, having having, you know, fathers disappear out of out of children's lives and walk away from families and other things because that's a real problem in so many, you know, communities and so many aspects of of life. But, you know, really, um, you know, you you look at at fathers today, the way they interact on weekends. And it's, it's, I think more inclusive of the family system that it would have been maybe when I was growing up, right. Where again, it was okay to take off in the morning, come back very late at night, you know, not spend a whole lot of time with the kids. You know, today it's, you know, if, if you're golfing, guess what? So your kids, you know, they're in a golf camp or they're in a tennis camp or they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're swimming at the pool. And then, you know, after you're done, you, you're all having dinner together, right? It, it, it is a different dynamic. And I, so I, I do think society has progressed in a certain way, even in terms of schools. You know, if, if your kid has a game and you, you know, you constantly don't show up, I do think you're almost looked at by the other parents as being the absentee. Whereas I think, you know, 50 years ago, you know, that wasn't a requirement. Like it almost is a requirement today. It's almost, you're almost shunned if you don't do it. And so I think there are aspects of society that have actually moved forward in a certain way as it pertains to the family unit. Um, I do think you 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 absolutely do have that fatherless crisis in this country. Um, people who do step out of their their, their kids' lives, and and I think there's a lot of societies worse for that. And then last but not least, there's also a religious aspect of this, where you know there is a, a war on faith in this country, Alec. I mean, there's no question about it. And my father fought it every single day when he was in the White House. I tell the story all the time where. He walked in, Obama had just left and they're calling, you know, the, the tree on the south ground of the White House, you know, the holiday tree. And he's saying, there, no, 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 this is a Christmas tree. Like we're going to call it a Christmas tree. There there has been a war on on religious, um, religious institutions, especially the ones that the other side don't like. Uh, certainly Christianity, um, you know, they've tried to remove the word God off of our national currency. They've tried to take under God out of our Pledge of Allegiance. Um, they've certainly weaponized the IRS and other people against religious institutions across this nation. I mean, Obama was was famous for that. You know, some of the scandals as well as as, as well as anyone where, you know, they were you know trying to strip them of their tax exempt status because they had individual beliefs that they thought, you know, and um, and that's also deeply troubling. We do need more faith. Uh, we we do need more more nuclear family. We we absolutely need more community policing. Um, I certainly hope if my kid ever got out of line, um, in front of another parent, that parent would call me and tell me about it and not feel like they were ratting somebody out or not feel embarrassed. And I, and, and I would certainly hope to do the same thing for them. You, you need the community policing of, of, of children. And when I say policing, I mean, I'm, I'm using that kind of lackadaisically, but you know, you want a lot of eyes on your kids to make sure that no one's going astray. And, and if somebody is, you can rectify a problem before that. We have a lot of bad influences out there. I don't mean to be long-winded about this, but you know, look at the drug ep ep epidemic in this country. Look at the fentanyl that's destroying hundreds of thousands of lives a year. They say 100,000. I think it's probably far more than that. Um, we better have a lot of eyes on our kids and, and their social groups. And if somebody's, you know, if some group's going astray, we better be able to pull our kids out of it or be able to take care of the problem with other parents very, very quickly. Otherwise, uh, you know, you're going to see in a, a time of such dire consequences, you're, you can, you know, it doesn't take too many instances for somebody to try somebody, explore something. They're young, they're naive, you know, and all of a sudden, um, you know, the rest of their life is is either affected or or possibly worse. Very well said, Eric. And sometimes their social groups are right here. I mean, they're right on the phone. And sometimes, you know, especially I got two teenagers 
Uh, and it's like, you know, you, you think you're up to date with the technology and then you find out just how far behind you are when you talk to these guys. You're like, I'm like, wow. It's like, so they're very far ahead of us with the technology. And so if they don't have that grounded moral support uh, of right and wrong, uh, because they're going to have to you're going to have to trust them to this world eventually. So hopefully the whole point is uh, and you, when we don't grow up with that, uh, just wait till your dad gets home type of philosophy. Like I remember growing up with so many guys grew up with my, uh, you know, back in the day it, that meant something like when you and you say, hey, wait, wait till your father gets home and you're like, oh, now you're like, I'd rather have the cops get me than my father get me. And that was the type of that that mentality that really, you know, helps to discipline a kid. And when they don't have that and they find that father figure, Eric, and they find it in the street and they don't find it in a coach, they don't find it in a uh, in the military. They don't find it through a teacher. They find it in the street. That's why we're filling up these prison systems with fatherless young men in this country. You know, in some cases, by the way, in many cases, uh, you know, the, the moms take that role and, and God bless. But but I think somebody has to take that role. And and I think that's that's critically important. Right. I mean, I'm best friends with my kids. My kids want to do everything with me at the same time. You know, they know if she says, hey, I'm, I'm telling dad, you know, that they're you know, that, that all of a sudden the auntie just got, you know, got ramped up, you know, pretty, pretty substantially. And. It's uh, it's scary. Technology is hard. Uh, it's hard because, you know, your kids come back. You might uh, again, my four and six year old, they come back from school and, you know, they want to watch the iPad. And, you know, they it's like, you know, how about guys go outside? You know, how about how about preoccupy <laughs> yeah. yourself and go build a Ford or go get dirty? You know, it's it's funny. I'm, I'm actually a very different parent. You see so many parents who, you know, don't roll around in the mud. Don't go play in that puddle. No, no, go play in that puddle. I don't care if you get dirty. It's great. In fact, it probably helps your immune system like, you know. Go roll around in the puddle. Go get as dirty as you you want. Meaning, in a context where you know you can you can do that, but you know try and get outside. But we all we all face it. I mean, it's very easy if you're on a plane and you're on a plane for three hours and you have to go somewhere. If we're flying from Florida to New York to to give your kid a an iPad and it shuts them up and they're totally immersed and they come off the plane three hours later and you hardly knew that they were there, right? Versus Stewing around their seat and fidgeting around and maybe kicking the seat in front of them and possibly <laughs> it, it is the cheap way out. There's no question about it. Um, and I think these technology companies know it. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I think it's it's life. It's 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 inevitable uh, that they're going to see some of that. But it's also how I think we as parents control it. I mean, we've got pretty strict. Laura and I are pretty strict with it. It's, you know, you have a great day at school. You come home 15 minutes. You know, if you if you want to watch something, some cartoon. And then you're off it. And like when I say we enforce it 15, it's like 15 doesn't turn to 45, right? It's you know, 15 minutes is 15 minutes and the kids know it. And, um, you know, we, we also do other things where it's like, you know, you want on a Saturday to stay up, you know, their bedtime's at eight, but you want to stay up till 8.15. Congratulations. You both are doing, you know, 20 pushups. And it's funny, like my our kids like really enjoy it now. Like they'll literally sprint to be the first ones. They'll, they'll knock out 20 pushups. They do jujitsu. They do a couple other things. And it's kind of fun. They're like, can we stay up 20 more minutes? But all of a sudden you're trying to reward some kind of physical activity with, you know, uh, extending bedtime on a night that doesn't really matter because again, it's a Saturday and I have school the next day. We try and do those things. And again, whether it's, it's all the right recipe, I'm not sure, but um, you know, eight hours of screen time a day, it's perverse enough adult brains that are already developed and mature. Um, I can only imagine what it's doing to the youth and, and, and frankly, the, the, the carryover um, effect of that. 
Yeah, 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 great stuff, Eric. And yeah, one of the good things about technology is you can throw it back and share with your kids the things you want. Like I, I have my kids love watching the Bugs Bunny. They'll watch the old Tom and Jerry's. And so we do have access to all that because of the technology. I wanted to throw it over to the campaign here, Eric. Obviously, right now, the Trump train is rolling right along. It seems like the energy, the momentum has never been higher. You're obviously on the campaign trail. What is the difference in the energy? What is the difference campaigning right now as opposed to, to 2015, uh, 2020 and, and right now? What is what has been the major difference that you're seeing out there well listen 2016 we didn't know what we were doing right we just came out of the iowa caucuses i spoke the other night in front of you know i think it was the second largest caucus location in the state and it was it was amazing i mean i, I knew walking in there that you know the thing was well won the largest margin of victory in the history in a republican caucus was 12 points by by bush senior and we won it by by 30 or 31 right i mean it, it's it was it was an absolute blowout we we killed it i'm very very proud of my father and um you know, in 2016, it was very grainy. I remember showing up at those caucuses, looking at the guy who was taking me saying, what, what exactly is a caucus and what, I'm, and what am I going to do? Well, so you're going to speak in front of everybody. You have exactly three minutes to tell them why you're, you know, your father's better candidate than they are. And, you know, I remember Ted Cruz was speaking next to me. I'm sitting there saying, guys, I built hotels. I, I do golf courses. I, like, this is not my world. Like, you know that they know something about foreign policy and all this other stuff. And so yeah, 2016 was, was obviously very grainy and that we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And it was kind of you know, speak from the heart and maybe fake it a little bit until you make it. And um, it was fun. It was fun in that regard. You know, today, I think we're, we're, we're more mature. We get it. But I think the contrast between candidates as you know, is, is, is greater than ever before. Right. I mean, my father focused on America winning America first, having the greatest economy, having the safest country. Um, it drove him crazy. Alex, I think I told you this before, but in, you know, in 2016, one of the reasons I truly believe he hopped into the race was there was a, a big Wall Street Journal or New York Times article that the, the United States was 30th in the world in terms of education, despite the fact that we spent 10 times as much per pupil educating our children. And I remember seeing him literally toss the paper saying, how, how in the world could this be possible? I mean, we spend 10 times as much and we get by far the worst result. We, you know, we're, we're 30th in the world. You know, it's no different than, than Iowa. I think, you know, we spent like, you know, I don't know, like $105 per voter in Iowa, you know, versus Nikki Haley, who just spent $1,800 per voter in, in, in Iowa, you know, somewhere in there. And it's, you get a bad result, but you spend by far, you know, you spend 18 times as much money. My father was always into getting the best result for the cheapest amount of money. And, and, you know, so, so education really bothered him and, and, and so many other things, but, you know, peace, stability around the world, respect our economy, great schools, school choice, you know, go through all of it, uh, you know, not having a, a lim the elimination of, of, of ISIS, allowing people to live the American dream, having up upward wage mobility. We don't have any of that now. In fact, we have the exact opposite. We have a destabilized world. People are getting crushed because inflation is massively, massively outpacing, um, you know, wage growth in this nation. Everything's more expensive. Like, you know, basic eggs are up 60, 70 percent over where they were, you know, three years ago. You know, the cost of a two by four, if you want to renovate your house, has gone through the roof. A piece of plywood costs you 50 bucks today. You know, I mean, go, go through the whole list, but yet they don't care. I mean, they, they just don't care about these issues. And guess what they focus on? They focus on Leah Thomas, who's a six foot five, you know, former male or male, uh, however you want to define it, swimming in NCAA sports. I'm a six foot five guy. I weigh 210. You know, they're swimming against, you know, women that are, are five foot four and weigh 60 pounds less. And, 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 and for some reason, they think that that should be the main focus of their time. You have an administration who's more 
concerned about renaming Fort Bragg because they think Fort Bragg is going to offend somebody, the greatest military installation on the face of this earth, you know, then actually winning wars and not being embarrassed as we withdraw from Afghanistan. They weaponized the system. They weaponized education. They weaponized, I, I mean, Alec, I went, to, I went to Georgetown University, you know, one of the prominent schools anywhere in the world, right? You know, top 10 in the country, I think it is right now. We had a teacher that came out not too long ago that said all white males should be castrated. All white males. So I wrote the president of the school who I have a lot of respect for. I, like, I've known the guy for a very long time. And I go, you can't be serious. Like, like, like this person should be, I don't care if they said all dogs should be castrated. This, this person should be, I, I mean, I have serious offense to that as well, but this, this person should be gone. Well, we believe in freedom of expression at our school. Like, you got to be kidding. They weaponized the system. They weaponized higher education. They weaponized lower education. We were talking about Loudoun County before. You know, they've weaponized the military. They, they weaponized all these things. I mean, they uh, you obviously see what they do to our family every single day, despite the great things my father did. And, you know, yet my father's sitting there saying, well, why don't you focus on the things that matter? No, back to, no, no different than, you know, our school conversations. Why don't you focus on teaching our kids to to spell, to read, to write, you know, math, algebra, et cetera. How about we focus on having the greatest economy in the world, the lowest inflation in the world, the lowest energy costs in the world, right? I mean, the, the you know, the lowest unemployment. We had that under my father. We had, you know, the lowest African-American unemployment, the lowest Hispanic unemployment, the lowest female unemployment, the lowest youth unemployment, which is how cool of a statistic is the lowest youth unemployment? Like, why don't we have absolute security for our country so no one can ever mess with us again? Have the best military. You know, make sure that the dollar is always strong. You know, make sure manufacturing comes back to this country, that people have upward mobility, that people have the ability to live the American dream, to go to Disney World three times a year with their kids, assuming, you know, you go to a, a, a non-woke version of Disney World, but, you know... Be able to take their kids for three weeks to the Grand Canyon, you know, go go camp out all over the national parks in this country. You know, that benefits the U.S., that benefits society, that benefits family. They're not doing any of that. They're In fact, Alec, they're doing the exact opposite of that. They're focused on all the damn issues that don't matter, that, that actually only hurt us. You know, which bathroom a biological male can use. These aren't real issues. These, these are issues that affect you know, 0.00001% of the population, but yet it becomes their calling cards and it's got to stop. It's got to stop. We live in the greatest country in the world. They're flushing it down the tubes. And, you know, I can tell you my father's life would be exponentially better if he wasn't in politics. I can tell you my life would be exponentially better if we weren't in politics. I, I can't tell you the thousands of subpoenas and arrows that I've taken for absolutely no reason whatsoever. But it's actually the, the demise of, of, of these systems, the demise of this country, the demise of the family unit, the demise of, of values, patriotism, the Constitution, red, white, and blue. That's actually the very reason we fight. You know, believe me, it'd be a lot cheaper if we weren't in this fight. It'd be a lot more enjoyable life-wise if, you know, he could, you know, have a great time in Mar-a-Lago every day as opposed to going to, to Iowa, you know, hopping on a plane, coming to court in New York for some politically motivated case only to then fly on zero sleep after 48 hours to New Hampshire to give a speech in front of 10,000 people. His life would be much more enjoyable, you know, uh, having a nice dinner at Mar-a-Lago, waking up and, you know, going out and playing golf. But we really truly are seeing the demise of this nation. And um, it, it's incredibly, it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous, incredibly dangerous.
Eric, don't think for a second that we don't realize the sacrifices that your family has made. And we see what's going on. We all know that your dad could be right now living out the rest of his life, traveling the world, playing golf, doing everything he wants to do. But he's fighting for us. And it means something to us out here because we are struggling. And all these points you just hammered on is exactly why the momentum is so high for your dad right now. And it's common sense points, but it's to a higher level just because we're sick and tired of being sick and tired of our country being destroyed. Our families having to fight for a little piece to put some food on the table, working all kind of multiple jobs. So we need your dad back in office. And don't think that we don't know the sacrifices that you guys are making. And I want to just ask this because, you know, when uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I had Ron DeSantis on first class fatherhood last year before he decided to run. And I'm on record saying I did not believe he was going to run for president in my heart. I didn't think he would do it because I honestly felt that he would throw his support behind your dad. And then the keys to the Republican Party were his in 2028. And I was just stunned when he decided to run for president. I was shocked. And I, I feel like I still don't understand why he did it. And then all of all of a sudden, all these people came out of the woodwork. It flushed out all these people think, that are delusional, thinking that he had a chance, has a chance to beat your dad for the party. So what was it? What did the, did you guys have a feeling he was going to do? Was this a total side swipe from you guys? What was your take on him running and the people that came out of the woodwork to support him? You know, it's interesting. You know, I, I think when the general public looks at this versus the way I look at it, you know, it's 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 a different it, it, it conjures different feelings. Uh, the reason I say that was, you know, DeSantis had zero chance. Um, I campaigned all over the place for him. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many events I did, how much support I gave him. And, you know, you had a, a man named Andrew Gillum. He had certainly a lot of problems in his life, but he was the guy who was going to win Florida. He was going to be the next governor of Florida. And uh, my father endorsed uh, DeSantis, got him over uh, the finish line. I mean, I campaigned like crazy, and he ended up winning by like 30,000 votes. And no one had ever heard of him before, and Gillen pretty much had a lock on on, on the state. Um, and, and so, you know, kind of to, to to do what you do when you put so much time and effort into trying to help a person just does always feel like a, a slight. It certainly felt like it. I, I could never really look at him you know, quite the same way. But I, I think from a more practical, that, that hits us different than it would probably hit, you know, the, the, the general public. And I, you know, I, I understand that. Um, you know, the reality is, you know, I, I've lived this world, I've lived this political world um, in a different way, right? I've, I've run the Trump organization, we have great hotels and everything, we've been doing it for, you know, four generations. And, you know, all of a sudden, we, we step into kind of this, this political world that just wants to take you down on every single front. And what I can tell you about every single candidate up there, I mean, thank God we had a Donald Trump. And I mean that sincerely as he's taken more arrows. But the, the reason you have rhinos in Washington, D.C. And the rhinos, frankly, are worse than the Democrats in so many instances. But the reason you have rhinos is you go in there and they try and do a little Russia to you or they try and do this or it's, a, you know, and you don't have the mouthpiece and you don't have the resources and you don't have, you know, the public podium and you don't have the support of the base to be able to fight this off. If they did one one thousandth of what they've done to my father, to Ron DeSantis, he would have crumbled into a little pile of dust. He wouldn't have made it the first hour of the first day in office, and, and they would have owned him. The establishment, the system would have would have owned him. Think what they tried to do to my father. They tried to bankrupt him. They tried to use they tried to impeach him twice. They tried to take out his Supreme Court justices. They tried to make up you know, scandalous stories about Russian dossiers and peeing and all sorts of things that were all paid for by Hillary Clinton. And thank God he had the backbone and thank God he had the, the resources. And most importantly, probably, you know, the, the voice and frankly, maybe even, you know, mature family who, who understands the world a little bit for what it was, albeit we were certainly naive to, to the level of derangement that we, we went into. 
a Nikki Haley would last three seconds, right? I mean, her husband's a defense contractor. She 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 would be swallowed up by by what they try to do, and and believe me, they will do it to her, and they will do it to him. And and it's amazing, you know. There's been certain times where they've gone after my father when they raided Mar-a-Lago, where you know you still hadn't heard from DeSantis for for four days, and and I'm just sitting there in the back of my mind saying, you know what? It's really funny that you're not commenting on it because you think it's advantageous. It's actually been disadvantageous to him because every time they did that, it actually made my father go up in the polls versus down because they realized exactly what the federal government was doing. But in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, you know what? It's interesting as a you know younger guy, you wait till they do this to you and and and, and you tell me how funny it is and, and how much you want people to be on the sideline non-commenting because you think it's good for their political career. You know, that is the demise of, of, of government, you know, kind of right there. So I, I, I've been disappointed um, in DeSantis. Um, I live in the state of Florida. Um, I know a lot of people in Florida and his biggest supporters. I'm not sure if, if he was able to run for governor again. I'm not sure if he would even win, to tell you the truth. I mean, he's lost that much support in Florida. Um, I mean, clearly he didn't do anything overwhelming the other day, right? I mean, he got, what, 19 percent and, you know, my father got 51 percent and, you know, so clearly he's not exactly breaking out from the pack. And um, I, I think it was a bad calculus. I think w w where you led this off, which is, hey, you know, let's let's do something. Let's do something together. And, you know, maybe in 28, maybe it's my time. I, I think that would have been much more advantageous for his political career, which is clearly what he's been focused on. But I think um, I think DeSantis has been been hurt in a very big way. And and, and frankly, I think, um, you know, Haley has as well when. She comes out. It's my Donald Trump's my favorite president ever, the greatest president ever. I'd never run against. And then she runs. Then she comes out. I would never impose a gas tax. I'd never impose a gas tax. And, you know, um, you know, six months later, it's I think we should put a gas tax on our, you know, retirement age should always stay at 65 at 65. You know, yeah, you know, never change retirement age. And then she comes out saying, you know, I think we need to change retirement age, to, you know, 75 or whatever, you know, her, her policy was. I think people are sick and tired of that. Right. And that's the establishment getting two people and that's them wavering and you know, whether or not sometimes you think Trump's antics are too tough. Thank God this nation has a fighter because they would have rolled over. They would have steamrolled him into the ground if we didn't have a fighter. And, and, and every policy that we've spent the last 45 minutes talking about, they would have steamrolled him into the ground. And, um, you know, I think the greatest attribute of a Donald Trump is he will just never stop fighting. He's not going to change his position. He's not going to, you know, and um, I think that's very different than Ron DeSantis or a uh, or a Haley or frankly, many of the, you know, many of the people that. I'm sure you've had on the show and that, you know, we all know very well um, the, uh, the establishment and what is Washington, D.C., this very deep swamp will we'll get them to change their tune within minutes. And um, and and the unthinkable will be done to them if, if they don't get into conformity. And it took a billionaire from New York who didn't need anything from these people and was willing to write a couple, you know, or was willing to sacrifice a couple billion dollars if he had to with a great movement, a great voice to kind of buck the system. And I think that's why the system is revolting the way it is. Yeah, unlike anything we've ever seen before, Eric. I think the silver lining in Ron DeSantis actually entering the race is that you started to see, I, th I think one of the biggest issues for your father when he was in office was that so many people were in there to undermine him. And it was like, you didn't find, we didn't find that out until later. Even one of his press secretaries comes out, writes a book, oh, I never even voted for him and throws shade at him. It's like, we found out all these things. But I think by Ron DeSantis running, it flushes out all these people and you could see, oh, wait a second here. I thought this guy was a loyal Trump supporter. Now look at, so it gives a better idea of who to keep away from the administration next time around. And, and I know, go ahead. I, there's no question about that, right? I mean, if you want to talk about one of my other pet peeves, I'm going very far because I think I'm, I'm at the point where I, I no longer need to bite my tongue, right? I'm, I'm mature in my life and know who I am. But 
you see that all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many people that, you know, um, you know, it's kind of funny coming out of an Iowa, right, where he had such a commanding lead. And then all of a sudden today you see all these people jump into the race. I endorsed Donald Trump. It's, you know, hey, thanks, bud. Like you endorse a guy that that won a state by 32 percent. Right. <laughs> like, I, you know, uh, you know, thanks for your vote of confidence today. You know, your endorsement really mean. And, and it's amazing. Alec. And I, I think this is a, a fundamental problem. I have because I don't come out of the political world. In fact, I hate most politicians. I think most of them are totally useless and uh, frankly do a disservice to us as opposed to a service to us. You know, there's one politician I love who I think has been amazing. And there's a couple behind you who are incredible. There's one over your left shoulder who's just great, right? But um, but but it's amazing. You know, there's so many people where, you know, he he, he really, I don't want to say built, but, you know, it, you, know, it, it, you know, they started their career under him and, you know, um, he, he built their reputation, endorsed them and nurtured them and everything else. And then all of a sudden they're, they're kind of on the sidelines until it's politically convenient to not be and, you know, or wait till you have a major victory in order to come out when, you know, uh, and, and if a victory didn't go that way, believe me, they wouldn't be coming out. And it's 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 part of kind of the feckless nature of. Uh, of politics, and it's um, I think it's very different in the business world. I really do. Um, and Washington is really it's really something. I mean, it's really something. But, you know, it's it's I always in the back of my mind, keep tally of the people who have always been there, who fought through thick and thin um you know versus the the people who have kind of been fair weather uh, warriors and and i will say with nikki haley I, I really do believe she was a fair weather warrior right when she was at the un anytime the wind would tack slightly to the left you know she'd go running for the hills um and um we don't need those people we don't need if, if you want to if you want to effectuate real change and you want to fix some of the really incredible you know tough problems that are that are facing families that are facing our economy that's facing the world that's facing you know stability of the world um you know, you better have people who have conviction and, you know, when they're in that foxhole, they stay in that foxhole and they're willing to fight out of that foxhole because, you know, the second people start running and there's plenty of people who will run, it's, um, you can't fight like that. Well, listen, I, I'm all in here on you that my oldest son will be his first year that he gets, he has a chance to vote. He's pumped up to vote for your dad. I know your brother Barrett, it's his first year. He's going to get a chance to cast his vote. So it's exciting. I think the momentum is high. And I know I've gone way over the time limit here with you, Eric, but I will just close this out here. Give me a mess. Give a message to the parents out there right now th that feel like they've been left behind. That feel like right now they feel like the inflation's burying them. They can't seem to get ahead no matter what they do. They're looking and they're dying for some help and they can't wait for it to get there. Give them the parents out there message of hope eric to close it out well the best of his hope is 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 frankly you have been left behind um you have been left behind by this administration who's it's the most incompetent administration in the history of this nation um and it doesn't need to be that way uh, we can have the lowest gas prices in the world we have the most liquid gold under our feet we can do that in two seconds this is not a hard thing to do we can have incredibly safe borders this is not hard we, we can have that. They're not even focused on it. We can have the greatest economy in the world. We can have the lowest inflation. We can have the lowest unemployment. We can have the, the greatest upward job mobility. We already had all of that. We had that between 2016 and 2020. My father created the greatest economy that this country has ever seen and focused on the things that actually mattered. But instead, you have people in there that are, you know, that, that are focused on all the things that don't. Um, in fact, not only do they are they focused on things that don't matter, they're focused on things that are actually detrimental to our society. Uh, we need great parents. We need parents to to step up in so many cases. We do need more fathers. Uh, I know that's one of your your, your biggest things. We need more religion. We got to get back to our patriotism. We've got to get back to our core values. We've got to get back to our constitution and actually teaching what the constitution is. 
we've got to get back to practical learning. The fact that certain schools still do Latin, but they won't teach you how to calculate a mortgage on, you know, a car payment or a mortgage on a home is disgraceful in the educational system. We need more school choice. We need uh, better education across the board. Um, we need to be number one at everything that we do in this country. Number one at every single metric. Uh, you have a lot of bad actors around the world that want to take us out. It's just a reality. I know that sounds harsh to say, but um, we're the best nation in the world. Um, my family loves this country. We've taken a lot of our, we will never, ever, ever stop fighting because we believe in the mission as much as anyone. You clearly do as well. I mean, you put your heart and soul into this, Alec. Um, we believe in this mission as much as anyone. And I promise you, we're going to fix this problem. We're, we're going to fix it. We're going to fix it with practicality. Uh, my father's the most amazing guy. He's been an unbelievable father to me in every way, shape or form. Um, he certainly understands all of this. He's frustrated by what's happening right now. And I promise you in 2024, we're going to start fixing this problem again. It won't take much time, just common sense, practicality. So my message of hope is that hope is on the horizon. Um, I promise you we're going to win this thing. We will. We're going to take back this country and, um, and, uh, we're going to restore the family unit and we're going to make America great again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fired up, Erica. I'm praying for you and your family. My family is, we pray for you guys. We, we need you guys back in the white house to help write the ship here. That's gone way off the rails. Uh, I really appreciate you. Give me so much time. Best of luck with the rest of this campaign. Love to have you on again, down the line somewhere, but uh, Eric Trump, you're a first class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Alec Lace show. You're the best. Alec. I'll see you soon. Take care, my friend. All right. Such an honor to have Eric Trump on the podcast today. Let me know what you thought about the interview. Hit me down there in the chat. Hit me in with a comment. And while you're down there, don't forget to like and follow the channel here on Rumble. I do my best to get the best guests I possibly can. And that's one of them today. Eric Trump is an awesome dad. He's an awesome guy. He's a patriot. He's an American. And he's a Trump. What more do you want? Right. So honored to have him on the podcast today. Uh, let me know what you thought about it down there. And uh, we are going to keep rolling along here. We, we are not done. Uh, the podcast keeps moving. I got one more interview to bring you to you guys here today, and it's a big one. Uh, former Navy SEAL Team 6 operator Rob O'Neill, author of The Operator and host of The Operator podcast. Uh, I've done interviews with Rob O'Neill on First Class Fatherhood as well. He has some big news for his family coming his way. He is uh, expecting his fourth child, first one with his wife, Jessica. So exciting time for Rob O'Neill right now. And he is one of the best follows on Twitter, formerly known as X. He's, he's one of the best follows you can have. He brings the humor, and uh, he, he's he's hysterical. So he could be an easily, easily be a stand-up comedian, in my opinion. So... Uh, always love it, and, and it's an honor for me to get a chance to talk to all these guys today, but always uh, honored when I get a chance to talk to a real American hero, just like Rob O'Neill is. So let's do it. Let's bring on Rob O'Neill to the Alec Lace Show here. All right, let's do this. Joining me now, Rob O'Neill. Welcome to the Alec Lace Show. Alec, thanks for having me. It's good to see you again, my man. Yeah, it's a pleasure uh, to have you. Now, I know you got some big news. Now, we talked a lot about fatherhood last couple of times. I had you on First Class Fatherhood. So just wanted to say congratulations to you and Jessica. I know you're catching up to me now. You're going to have four, just like I this, got. Yeah. Yeah, we're pumped, you, man. We, we, uh, we've been together for a while, married for, I think, six years, together about 10. I got married after the Navy. And, you know, we at first it was kind of like, well, let's live this, travel around, go to sporting events, go to races and after parties, all that stuff. And I was like, all right, it's time. We're well, I know I'm getting old enough. I want to uh, I want to have a, a have a family with you because she's she's friends with not friends. They're very, very close. My other kids. But uh, we're very excited to bring one in together. And, uh, and uh, I told her 
Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, an incredible experience. I think I'm ready for it. I've been to war and I've taken care of babies and babies have no rules. War does. So we're, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited. I, I told her I have a black belt in diaper changing. <laughs> now, you know what you have? And I know you got the three girls, you know, what you have in here or what do you, do you, you wait until the end to find out another girl. Um, and the way, the way that works is they, they used to call that the Frogman curse and, and, <laughs> and Frogman, of course, is Navy seal. And they said, uh, they would blame it on everything from like this this uh, softener lime that we use to scrub uh, O2 or scrub CO2 out of air when we're diving. They blame it on that, but they also said it's because when we were young punk Navy SEALs, we weren't that good to women. So now it's our turn to take care of women. I personally am happy because you know I've had buddies of mine that have boys, and they said it takes a man to make a man. But I know when I need my diaper changed, eventually uh, my daughters are going to show up. So I'm excited. Yeah, well, listen, I I probably interviewed about 60 or 70 SEALs, and I, that, that Frogman curse or whatever you call it seems to be true. The overwhelming majority of them have girls. It's amazing yeah. how, how it works out. Well, we do. You know, it's just the next generation of uh, of women, and and uh, we're we're gonna do everything we can to help them. But it's, it's it's a blessing, obviously. The frogman curse is what we would say when you know your newly married team guy at like twenty five years old. But once no, there's not, I don't know. I don't have a son, but there's nothing better than having daughters. Yeah, we listen. We got our daughter on the fourth try. She's our only girl. She's nine now. She runs the whole show here. But listen, obviously now you're bringing a new a new baby into the world here. And right now, this is the major reason why Rob, I made this switch over to this show. I still run First Class Fatherhood, but I couldn't stay quiet anymore about what's going on—the attack on parents in this country right now. And you're bringing it. Like I said, you're having a new baby coming up in this world today. And what's happening to the youth in this country from just every direction is dangerous and scary. It's almost impossible to have the conversation about parenting today without including. A talk about politics well of course i mean it's part of the plan and we were told this specifically by communists right around the 1940s and 50s they were going to infiltrate our schools they were going to infiltrate our entertainment they're going to infiltrate hollywood and the media and they've done all that and uh getting rid of the nuclear family is a way to start chaos and and communists thrive on chaos and i mean if you don't think there are actual card-carrying communists in our government right now, all the way from Washington, D.C., down to, to these uh, um, uh, school boards, you're lying to yourself. And and even to the point where they've weaponized all the three-letter agencies to say that the biggest threat to this country is domestic terrorism, and that they think parents are that. And it's ridiculous because they, they want, you know, it, it's so, the, the Democrats have completely shifted to fascism, meaning they want to expand government, take over everything. They're the ones saying right now, you'll own nothing and be happy. We'll just rent everything, which is nonsense, but that's what the elites want. And part of the way they do that is controlling the next few generations. And that's obviously getting into the schools with, uh, uh, I mean, the teachers unions and, and the school boards, they were only found out because parents stopped working right around 2020 and they were trying to homeschool learning the nonsense these kids are, are, are learning when, you know, they're, they're students in places like North Korea, Iran, Russia, Brazil that are training their kids how to fight, how to, how to, how to survive. And we're teaching our kids that maybe, maybe you can use this bathroom or you should use this bathroom. And even the, the drag queen story hour. I mean, why, what's the point of that? There is no point of that, but uh, yeah. I mean, parents got to get involved. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I just I was just speaking to Eric Trump before you came on, and he was saying that was one of the major reasons why his dad ran the first time around was he saw the amount of money we're pumping into our education system and just how far behind we are. And it's like we, we try to fix all of our problems. We throw money at, at so many of these different yeah. issues. You can look at LeBron James's school, the I Promise School. Millions and millions of dollars have been put into that school. Not a single kid has passed a math test in three yeah. years. 
So it's, no. it, it has nothing to do with throwing more money at it. These are, you have children that are coming with a broken family with no father involved in their life, no structure, and, and you expect to throw money at it and think you're going to solve it. You're sadly mistaken. Well, I mean, that's that's part of it, too. That's, again, part of the communist plan is to uh, with, with extreme feminism, like, you know, you don't need to be at home and, and or, or the father doesn't need to be at home and you can all work and send them to, to government funded daycare and government schools. And we got your kids and you do this. But uh, again, with destroying the nuclear family, that's that's chaos in in, in, um, in our society. And, you know, we, we've come to a place where it's like. They think you do need a father at home. You do need a mother at home. Two parents is obviously the best way to do it. And I'm not saying other people can't do it, but that's not the, I mean, that's not, it goes right back to the basis of the founding of this country. And one, you know, with Judeo Christian values, one of it is, is uh, raising a family. And, you know, it just seems like the nuclear family is getting attacked just because of this leftist agenda. And I like, we all played along with it for a while, but enough is enough of this. Yeah, they, they, they woke up the parents in this country. Like you said, you mentioned it there with COVID. So many people looking over their shoulder at the kids saying, like, what, what is this all about? And they've woken up, I think, a sleeping giant who just wanted to kind of be left alone. The parents are busy working two jobs, trying to get the kids to soccer practice, trying to do all these things. They didn't have time to be paying attention to the school curriculum and, oh, make sure everything is. Now, all of a sudden, they're seeing it and they're like, oh, my God. And now they're paying attention. Then when you show up to make a statement, you're called a domestic terrorist. Yep. If you, if you, they're allowing men to use the, the, the bathroom with your daughter if you don't like it you're the problem and that's pissing off a lot of parents i i i don't know anybody i haven't met one dad yet in real life that is okay no. with a grown man using the bathroom with your daughter we're sick of it well and, and that's the whole thing too is it's not it's it's such a a, a small minority of people but they're loud at like uh babe ruth's famous quote the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats uh and it's i mean this is not just <laughs> Even, uh, you know, I, I have uh, gay friends and they do not like this radical agenda that they brought onto the gay community. All they wanted to do was they wanted to get married for so long. <laughs> and then they got that. And then the extremists just come in and just, again, anarchy is what they want. And, and they're they're ruining. They're trying to ruin a lot of uh, normal life here. And, and again, people are waking up to it. And but but the thing is, too, that you got to do some. One of the problems in this country is we complain and complain and complain. And then we vote in the incumbent. It's like you're you're complaining about like the, the capital, but there's people that have been working there for 50 years. Get them out. If you don't like it, vote them out. Um, and, and again, that goes down to the even the city politics. You got to watch out for corruption. Who's running the polling places? Why aren't they letting the other party watch them count the votes? Why do we need to keep counting votes until someone wins at 4 a.m. when you know they didn't? I mean, how is it that they can tell us in certain states basically the equivalent of, yeah, we flipped a quarter 100,000 times and each time it came up on heads crazy. Uh, um, but you need again, it comes it goes from the. Uh, the macro, uh, the macro to the micro, and you got to do something in your own community. And that's every, and you know, I travel the country a lot. I give speeches, I go to events and things like that. I talk to people, most sane people feel this way. Like you said, in person, it's way different, but online, uh, cause you got the, the, the left, this big tech social media giants in there that if you say the wrong thing, they'll just shut you down. I'm i I'm restricted on my accounts right now too. I don't even know what I said, but I'm assuming it was probably the truth. <laughs> yeah, that, unfortunately, yeah. that's why it's great for places like Rumble and X, because at least they're giving you the opportunity. At least they're giving you a, a fair shot uh, to mm -hmm. voice your opinion. I mean, not not totally free, but it's the freest we have right now. And, and it just seems like uh, the whole the, the whole thing, obviously, it's if you're OK with this progressive, liberal, Democrat, Marxist ideology, you can say whatever you want. You're free to say it. Yeah. That's where the freedom is. It's on that one side. So it's against the basically against heterosexual white Christian males. You're probably the lowest on the absolute total pole and it's okay to to shit all over those people oh, online yeah, as course. much as you want 
Yeah, of, of course it is. That's what they can do because you'll notice they use words like uh, oppressed and oppressors and victims and colonizers and uh, um, resistance. And what they, I mean, they obviously started off with, uh, you know, African-American, Asian-American, Irish-American, divide and conquer. But they, but then they went into uh, uh, people of color is what they love to say. Even with Nikki Haley, um, I think, I, I don't want to be wrong here, but I think it was Joy Reid who just said she didn't win uh, Iowa because she's a Sikh American, which means she's a, she literally said she's a brown lady. And it's like, well, that's ridiculous. But that, what they're getting at here is, if you notice, they're gearing everything up the pyramid to uh, the worst person in the world is the straight married white man. Because they, they have lists now of who's the most, it's like a race over who's the most oppressed. And that's, and that's the, it's the wrong way to, I mean, again, too, that's the wrong way to raise, raise children. If you, it starts with bad parenting. You you aren't born hating. You're taught to hate. You only know what you're taught. And a lot of these really young kids are being taught to hate different people based on the color of their skin, not the content of their character. And, and they're also they're, they're out there. They, they have this Trump derangement syndrome is way out of control. And we know we see just seeing this Fannie Willis who was so high on her horse to get Trump, to get Trump. And now it comes out that, you know, she made her bed. Everybody's been sleeping in it. And now it's, oh, my God, look, it's because I'm a, I'm a lady of color. I'm a black woman. Uh, ain't I allowed mm. to make a mistake? No, you got caught. Now you have now this whole case needs to collapse because it was built just on, on pure lies. Well, yeah, and and uh, using taxpayer money, I, and I hate saying government funded; it's taxpayer funded. Right, the government it's doesn't you and produce me. really anything. We pay for it, but she's paying for a boyfriend who has no experience to fly to the White House to have a meeting with the White House for a local election. Don't tell me they're not planning something bigger because that's what fascists do. Well, we can't beat them. Let's keep him off the ballot. Let's keep him in jail. Let's uh, censor him. You can't hear this. They were even calling Donald Trump, Donald Trump. They were calling him the, the victor tonight. And we're not going to air it on MSNBC because we report the truth. It's like, okay, you report the truth. Um, boys have penises. You don't say that. You say yeah. boys can have anything. That's not telling the truth. It's like telling me there's not gravity or those flat earthers. You're not speaking the truth. You're speaking what the overlords want you to say so you can keep chaos. And if you'll notice, they keep saying the same thing because like it or not, 50% of the votes going uh, of the vote is going to the left. But what they do is they keep them in line and tell them the same thing over and over and over so it becomes the truth. You'll hear extreme MAGA, extreme, extreme MAGA, extreme. Okay, what does that mean? I know you hate it. What does it mean? Make America great is bad. Uh, we the people is bad. Secure border is bad. No crime is bad. That's how. But they but they program in, into the workers' heads. Extreme mag, extreme mag. Vote Democrat. We'll take care of you. They haven't taken care of anybody for as long as I've been alive. And here, here's the truth, Rob. They try to use that rhetoric because I, I, here, I believe that the majority of people, 74, 75 million people voted for Trump in the last election. I think a very small percentage of them are actually like the real MAGA people. The, the majority of the people that voted for Trump are just using their want what's best for their families. They want what's yeah. best for their livelihood. That's why they're voting for Trump, because he provides them the best option of their way of life. It's not because they're super MAGA, ultra MAGA. They, right. That's not what the majority of the voters are all about. They, they don't want men in the locker room with their daughter that's not ultra maga that's that's a father that's just looking out that's for his family normalcy that's normalcy and you can lie to people for so long but i think we all go to the grocery store you can see what's happening there uh iowa the caucuses obviously trump just won a huge that's not a border state with any foreign country but their number one concern was illegal immigration they're feeling it in iowa where they should just be you know making really good cream corn which they do by the way i was there for a wedding a couple months ago 
Um, but again, this is just the 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 big plan the left has, and all they're gonna. Who are you gonna believe, me or your lying eyes? They can only do that for so long, and that's when you get into the weird voting stuff. Because like Joe Biden got eighty one million votes allegedly. Why is he? Ha- why does he have someone on his Twitter feed? Because he's not. I guarantee it's not him tweeting, begging for uh, e-, e-, e money, e cash. Because well, if there's eighty one million people out there supporting you. Each one of them puts in a buck. You're good. They're not doing it. Why is that? Weird question. But we can't tell the truth, can we? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Rob, I got to get your take on this, too, because right now, uh, one of the frightening things is the military recruitment in this country is at its lowest point, maybe in history. And it's because of, not because of anything else other than really, I think, this woke agenda that's that's hit the military. You're seeing guys, you know, in recruitment videos that, that are turning into girls. And it's like, you know, what's interesting, Rob, is that, you know, we're a country that, that was founded. We went to war over a three percent tax on tea. Now our taxpayer money is going to put breasts on men in the military. It's like, what the hell has happened here? But military recruitment is down at an all-time low is it this wokeness is that responsible for why or what's the other reasons i I think i think a lot of it is and i know the retention's really bad too because well my guys navy seals are getting out and it's because of it's not because of the the uh, direct leadership it's the senior leadership and everything's in washington dc and a lot of these upper echelon people when you get to a certain rank in the military it becomes political and in dc you need to toll the swamp line if you want that first or second star or if you want to make sergeant major or something like that so you they need to get political and it's too big anyway like the pentagon was around for world war ii it's still there getting bigger there's really no need for the pentagon but it just expands 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 and if you for like everything else if you want personal power, you better tell the party line or else you're not getting that raise. And that's, uh, you know, it comes down to that. But I saw this. I got out in um, 11 years ago and I saw it happening with the, they have before and before deployment. And I'm talking to Iraq and Afghanistan going to war. You needed to fill out required training online and get it all checked off. And it was like command climate stuff. We weren't into uh, diversity, equity and inclusion yet. But I saw the way it was going. And it's it's over. It's. Well, saying it's over redundant is almost good because it's redundant, redundant. Like that old joke with the in the government, there's the uh, Department of Redundancy Department. There's useless training they're wasting money on for no reason. That like, have you been to the gym? Yes. Did you swim or do cardio today? Yes. Did you go to the range? Yes. Um, did you get your will set up? Yes. Well, then you're ready for war. All this other nonsense people don't want to do, and it just it brings the victimization. It like. Um, we just had an incident at sea with SEAL Team 3. Um, they were doing a takedown of a ship that was smuggling uh, arms from Iran in, into Yemen to give to the Houthis. SEAL Team 3 went to take the – they interdicted the ship, um, and one of the dudes fell off. Another dude jumped in to, to, to be a swim buddy, I guess, and um, they haven't found him as of right now that I know of. And these are some of the best trained dudes in the world. They're some of the strongest dudes in the world. They didn't fail their physical test. That was just the extreme environment that special operators need to work in. And that is not a time for equity. You're not going to get an equal result. I need someone who can get up that ladder. And if these studs had a slip and fall, imagine if we had a unit full of average people, but we had to fill a certain quota. How many people are falling in the water and how many are jumping after them? This directly affects uh, uh, active duty veterans and families. And it's just, it's all a result of the pussification. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, my heart goes out to the Navy SEAL community, especially the families of those frogmen, man, that went down. That's yeah. a tragic story. And I did want to ask you about that. So I'm glad you commented on it. But I remember a couple of years ago, I, I interviewed Jocko Willink and I, I was right at the time where they, they changed the Navy SEAL ethos and they changed the wording from men to people. And it was all gender neutral. And I was like, what the heck is this all about? He was like perplexed by this as well. And it was like, well, why? There's never been a female Navy SEAL there. Yeah, most likely, I would imagine there never will be one. And, and so I can't I can't understand why they would do something. If it's 
hitting the Navy SEALs and you're changing the ethos to it, we're in trouble. Like you said, I mean, if, if we don't have the best of the best, that's that's the top of the chain yeah. here, man. We yeah. we can't screw around with that. Yeah, and, and the point I was making there was was the dudes that went in the water were the best of the best, very, very strong, very physical studs. Um, and, it, you know, like I said, if the job was that hard that one of them slipped, what's going to happen to someone who can't even do a pull-up? But we had to get them in there because we need a female Navy SEAL. And again, I know really, really tough women. Maybe someone could make it. But the way the military is going is, oh, they can't make it. Well, let's just lower the standards. And that's bullshit. When we uh, when we were on the mountain in Afghanistan in 2005 going after the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell, I remember being awake for a few days on top of a mountain, hot as hell, humid, and, you know, wet Western, Western Himalayas. And looking at guys saying, this is why training is so hard, because if we wanted to quit right now, where are we going to go? We're just here. And that's the whole point. There's a difference between equality and equity. Equity is we all get the same result. Equality means you all get a chance to try. And that's what we have. You get a chance to try. However, if you do not meet the standards, don't just call the person that failed you a name or, 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 or you're a phobia or something. You just didn't pass the standards. So we can't have you. But that's not the way they flip that upside down. Oh, we need a certain amount of this many people. And uh, I don't think China's doing that. And isn't that the point, though, Rob, too, of, of, of failing and then making yourself want to be like, if you went out, if you were selected for SEAL Team 6 and you failed first time around, you say, well, wait a minute, I, what did I feel? Let me get better at this. Was it shooting? Was it this? And almost like Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Now, if that didn't happen, maybe we would never see Michael Jordan because that right. gave him a fire to say, you know what, I'm going to get better. And he did. And that's that's the thing that comes from that. When you fail, you start to improve or you quit. It's one or the other. But to, to just say, oh, we're going to give you the participation trophy or we're going to let you in because you're black or hispanic or a lesbian this makes no sense in any no. community anywhere on the planet uh the end of one of jordan's famous quotes said i fail over and over again and that's why i succeed and uh, mine jordan's just i mean and i don't care who's listening jordan's the best of all time i will stand by that um but yeah the, the, just the lowering of the standards is because it, it it's it i i mean Again, with being a parent, this goes way back to, well, let's just give everyone a trophy for participation. That's fine at a certain age, but if we're keeping score, man, might as well win. Look at California now. They're like, they're, they're coming up with rules that certain kids at a certain age can't they tackle football. That's not the government's job. That's a parent's job. If it's too dangerous, have them do something else, or you can have them play football. I, it, it pays off well for great people and, you know, college football players are studs. I, I don't know why you wouldn't give them the, every opportunity, but the government, again, is just stepping in, interfering just the way the leftists want them to. And where this becomes dangerous too, Rob, is we're seeing like legislation being introduced where if you don't, a parent doesn't affirm their child's gender, the state could take that child away from them. And when you start getting into something like that, now we're talking about a whole nether level of this communist ideology that's coming in here. And if we don't pay attention and shut this down very strongly, dangerous things are coming for us. I don't like to think about that. I'm very aware of it. I know my history. The last uh, president to be kept off a ballot was Abraham Lincoln. And I'm pretty sure like a year or so later, the Civil War started. And I'm not saying we need to have that, but there are a lot of people that, and the reason the Second Amendment exists is to protect yourself from a tyrannical government. And they've spun it into, well, you don't need an AR-15 to hunt. Yeah, I don't, but uh, I might need it against you. And it's just... There, I mean, there are so many people that just want to be left alone and the government just can't stop. They can't stop interfering with everything until you own nothing. I mean, they're, they're, I, they're, like they're doing the World Economic Forum right now in Davos. And I get, I mean, 
there's so much dumb stuff they come up with to see what they can get away with. One of which was a lockdown. I don't say, yeah, you know, this all happened because of COVID. No, it happened because of the government run lockdown worldwide, because these world leaders, what they're trying to do in the great reset is see what they can make us, the peasants do. And right now, if you've noticed, it's like kill all the cows and just eat bugs and you'll be happy. And we're saving the environment. No, we're not. Cause you're eating, you know, the bone in ribeye after you flew your private jet to Davos, you and everyone else. Uh, they're, they're just seeing what we'll do. And just like good little soldiers, we give up freedoms for, because if you've noticed, there's either a war or a threat of war or there's fear and people will give up a little bit of freedom. It started after 9-11, not started, but after 9-11, they're like the Patriot Act so we can listen to um, terrorists. Yeah, that sounds good. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, they're listening to all of us now. And they're, you think they're going to give it back? Never. The government takes an inch and won't ever give you anything back. Um, that's I mean, that's why I'm upset that there's never going to be term limits, because guess who the jackasses are voting on that? How, I mean, how are they going to get out of their... Uh, Taxpayer-funded retirement home if we limit their terms. Never going to happen. Plus, you know, they can't come in with $20,000, leave worth $100 million, which they do. Yeah, and right after 9-11, too, we also had this uh, Department of Homeland Security, which we never had before. Now there's 250,000 employees there that are getting paid, and it just keeps growing and growing. This is why, like, you're talking about the Davos thing. You have that Melee guy there from Argentina. He gave him hell. Oh, yeah. You know, this guy is like saying, you are the problem. You're, you're not part of the solution. You are the yes. problem. This is, I love that guy's philosophy. Afuera, like, throw them all out. And that's the that's the philosophy. I, w- I wish that guy you and Trump to. would get together, man, and just let's take all this shit they over. Will. They will. And he- did you notice he flew coach? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's the president of a country and he flies coach. They'll find him on there too. And, and uh, I mean, that's the attitude because the media is, is controlled by the government and, or vice versa. And uh, they've convinced us that a government shutdown would be a bad thing. It's horrible. They're like, well, well we got to avoid a government shutdown. I'm like, why? Shut them all down. Shut everything down. Shut down the IRS, the EPA. Shut down the DOJ, the FBI. Shut it down. It's lawless anyway. Why are we paying these government employees who have no risk of being fired? Shut it down. See what happens. And also, you can trim the fat off everything else. The the amount of redundancy and corruption, I've seen it up front. My first job after the Navy was uh, working in D.C. on the Capitol. And I mean, don't think for a second these guys are working their asses off. Yeah. No, I'm not under any delusion that they are, but it's just and it's just like you said before, it just seems like it's the same thing over and over again and nobody does anything about it. But then again, we get fooled and tricked. It's like in the House right now, Speaker Mike Johnson, everyone's saying get rid of McCarthy. So we throw him out. We bring in Speaker McCarthy. We're like, okay, this guy's going to help us out. He says, oh, I'll give you the January 6th tapes. I'm going to release them. I'm going to release them. It comes and goes. Last year it ended. He never released them. So it's like, where, 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 where is the guy? It's like now it's time to get him out of the way and let's get the next man up or the next woman up to get in there. And let's start making momentum. It, 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 my orchestra should have been impeached seven months ago. The impeachment mm-hmm. process of Biden should have started. A, they, these people on the left, they play hard ball. They come to win and they get wins up on the board. We on the Republican side, the GOP, whatever you want to call us, we cannot stack one win on the board and we keep eating shit and we always play defense. It's like we're tired of it. Get somebody in there that's going to say, no, you know what? It's our way now. The ball's in our court. Fuck you. And we're moving forward. That's very true. And and uh, I'm a, I have to make this point. I'm a registered independent. I don't like either party. I think a two party system is uh, bad. But the, the issue is because, you know, one of the big terms over the past few years has been misinformation or fake news. 
the problem is a lot of our voters in this country don't realize what the three branches of government do. The reason that the uh, the House of Representatives is there and has a two year term is because they're the ones who make the laws. They're the ones who can tax and spend. That's it. And if they don't do what you like in two years, you get them out. And senators were never supposed to be uh, worldwide. There's a, two senators. Each state are supposed to be um, they're put in power by the state um, uh the state representative in the state, the, the state government. And then that those two senators are supposed to do the best interest in Washington for that state. You're not supposed to have Chuck Schumer raising money in California so they can do a, a, an election in Georgia. That's not the way it was designed to work. And, and the Supreme Court it used to be in the basement of the Capitol. I've been into the original Supreme Court. They weren't important enough to have their own building, but I think FDR built the huge circus tent for them to be the most, you know, the most nine powerful lawmakers, which they're not supposed to be. But you get that too. Uh, 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 John Roberts was appointed by George uh, George W. Bush, and he gave us Obamacare. You don't, you can't make that law as a judge. You're supposed to see if it's constitutional, and constitutional doesn't mean whether or not you like it or it offends you or triggers you. The Constitution is very cut and dry, and uh, Washington's a circus. I mean, even when you go there, it is nice to go there and see the history. I love the monuments, and it's, it is great to see the place. But when you think about how those buildings were made and the shit that goes on inside, it's, it's you know, the, um, like the FBI should be moved out of D.C. It corrupted the hell out of the FBI. D.C. is just a – they don't produce anything, but they have some of the most valuable real estate uh, in the country. Rob, listen, I'm in the communist state in New Jersey here, and the senator that we got, this Bob Menendez, he's got a pile of gold bricks in his basement from Egypt, yeah. and we can't get this guy out of there. The Democrats won't turn on the guy, just like, but but the Republican side, they had that Santos, they vote one of their own guys out who wasn't even guilty of anything yet. He wasn't convicted of anything yet. He's a conservative voter. They throw him out. You'll never see the Democrats do that to their guy, even though yeah. the guy's sitting on a mountain of gold. And, and, and there's corruption all around this guy and he stays in there. That's the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to take your hat off to the Democrats. They're very organized and they're also good with when a story breaks. They act outraged when it's on their side. They talk about it for a few days. The media shuts it off. Uh, and then we stop talking about it because, well, we have major sporting events and TikTok, which is run by China. And it's not this. None of this is an accident. I mean, the reason the Romans built Colosseums is because the locals were saying, wait a minute, what are these senators doing? Oh, look over there. Lions eating Christians. Let's go watch that instead. Same thing, only, you know, football's not quite as brutal as uh, the lion thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty bad. But listen, right now, obviously, everything is focused. It's 2024 on the elections here. Where do you I know that I think it was 60 percent of the veterans uh, voted for Trump in 2020. I know there's a high percentage of veterans that love Trump. Well, well how do you see this thing playing out? What was your I want to get your take to on DeSantis and Vivek, if you could break it down real quick. And how do you see this whole election thing playing out? Well, I think that Ron DeSantis is the best governor in the country, and I just think he his team wasn't quite prepared for a national election. And I don't know why he'd want to go up against Donald Trump when Trump helped him out. And, you know, he's a young dude. He's got four years from now. He should run. Uh, he'll be I think DeSantis will stick around to at least South Carolina. Um, Vivek, I love the way he tell, she's telling the truth and said, I can't win this. There's no path forward. And I'm I am all for um, this country. So I'm backing Donald Trump 100 percent. I think everyone else should, too. That's that's what he's saying. And uh, I think he's going to be a good uh, pit bull out there trying to speak the truth because he's he at least as far as I've seen, I've never met the man is aware of what needs to be cut. And it's, it's going to suck. But we need to cut some things. Um, I think that be, the difference between a caucus and and a primary is in a caucus. You have to be part of that 
that um, uh, that side of the aisle so you can vote in your candidate. But the primary, you can be anything. And what Democrats do is they switch uh, or they can just go vote. I'm sorry. They can vote for in anything. So they switch over to either side and then they vote for Nikki Haley because she's not Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. And she's been in, in D.C. long enough that she's as close as they can get to a liberal. Not, I mean, I'm nothing against Nikki Haley. I know she has contacts and she's uh, she's smart. She's qualified. But that's just their tactic. They're going to they're going to, you know, Nikki will probably finish second and they're going to say, oh, look at that. Nikki Haley coming in close second. And then she's going to get destroyed in her home state of South Carolina. That's when she's going to drop out. Then it's going to be Donald Trump um, against whoever the Democrats get, because I still don't think Biden's going to make it that, that far um, politically. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And one of the things, too, I think the reason why a lot of veterans and especially your community vote, uh, I would think you guys are the last ones that want to see us involved in foreign wars. I would think that you've seen enough to know that this isn't where we want to be spending our time here. And I, I, I think that Nikki Haley is, is one of these warmonger people. And, and, and if we got somebody like that in charge of, the, uh, of our country, I think we'd be, in a, we'd be in a disaster. And just to just to close it out here, well, give me your take on these conflicts that we've been pulled into here, these wars that we're involved in now uh, with Israel. Israel, Palestine with Ukraine, Russia, and then what's going on in the Middle East. Tighten that up for me. Give me your take on that. Well, we need to do what President Trump did to Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi and 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 um, and to Qasem Soleimani, which was the, he was the leader of the uh, Revolutionary Guard in Iran. Uh, he 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 had a drone take off from the same airport where um, Soleimani landed and hit him, killed him with a hellfire. And Iran being Iran, rattling their sabers and, and death to America, said, we're going to whatever. And Trump said, no, you're not, because I'm going to bomb all your ports and crush your oil fields. Iran needs to get punched in the face right now. This is all Iran. Hit them hard. And then what, what I like, I don't like war. It, it sucks. I've never been on the receiving end of one of our bombs. I don't. I mean, obviously, there's collateral damage, which sucks. But Iran doesn't care. Hamas doesn't care. They need to get hit really hard and they need a stern no. And our military can do that, but instead, we'd rather have drag queens as our digital ambassadors and putting everything on TikTok, which is a Chinese platform designed to bring, again, chaos to this country. So uh, and we're not weak. We have the strongest military, the best Navy in the world, the best Marine Corps, well, the best infantry in the Marine Corps and the Army, uh, best Air Force, and obviously the Navy first and the Air Force. <laughs> that was Navy, so that's a joke. Um, but we have all this in place. The problem is the senior leaders, again, well, I'm a three-star admiral. Man, I'd love that fourth star, so I better start talking bullshit. Stop wasting money with hearings. Um, get carriers out there, bomb the shit out of Iran, and then leave. Just because we hit Iran doesn't mean we need to invade Iran. You can hit them hard and say, okay, don't do that again. And if we see one more missile going from Iran to Iran to uh, uh, into Yemen, we're not hitting that boat. We're hitting Iran. And that's what needs to happen. And just because like the optimistic side of potentially hitting Iran is not World War Three. The optimistic side is there will be a civil war in Iran. We've got to give them a reason to overthrow their religious clerics. And for some reason, we'll get a Republican that does that. And then we get a Democrat in and he starts pumping billions of dollars to him. Doesn't make any sense. And now there's uh, billions of dollars worth of our weapons over there, too. So we better do something quick. Man, Rob O'Neill for Secretary of Defense. I know you'd at least show up to the job there, you know, and if you couldn't make it, you'd call in with a, with a sick day. Well, if if I get picked as a sec def, I, you'll you'll hear me complain less about the Pentagon and the buildings in uh, in DC because I'll, I'll get myself one of the nice suites and a, a kick ass driver. <laughs> All right, let me close it out here, Rob. When when is the due date, by the way? When when is the baby coming? February twenty second. Oh man, so you're I'm right fine. there. That's that that's I know. that's we're, actually we're, we're close. I was going to say, that's actually my wedding anniversary, 222. Hey, uh, 19 years. So, uh, yeah, I love that. I, well, I'm aiming for uh, Valentine's Day because then I'll at least have an excuse for giving my daughters and my wife presents for a made-up holiday by Hallmark. 
Well, listen, Rob, I, I love following you on X, uh, you know, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. You're always a great follow. You bring humor. You bring some you, you bring some realistic takes to it. So it's always an honor to have you on the podcast here. I know I've been hounding you for it. I appreciate you. Give me a few minutes of your time here. Thanks for joining the show. Well, thanks, Alec. And let's do this any, anytime, man. You, you know where I am. Just hit me up. I, I take a while to uh, respond, but I uh, always have a good time talking with you, brother. Appreciate you, Rob. Thank you. All right. Big, big honor to have Rob O'Neill on the podcast here. Mick Hoorah. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. He's Instagram. He's one of the best follows on social media. Always a pleasure and an honor when I get a chance to speak with him. So what did you think about that interview? Leave your message down there in the comments section. Leave something in the live chat. Follow the channel. Hit that like button. And uh, what did you think of all the interviews? Listen, I, I'm overwhelmed with the responses I get when I reach out to people to join me here on the podcast. And I really owe it all to you guys who keep this show popular on Rumble right now. Uh, The view count has stayed up. We constantly get featured here on Rumble. And this is one of the last stands for free speech that we have in this country. Uh, So you better share it. You better share it with your network. If not this show, any other show that you see on Rumble that you're a fan of, please share it with your network. We got to keep an app like this, an app like Rumble, alive and strong. And it continues uh, to blow away so much of the competition, and hopefully it'll just get bigger and better. But uh, grateful to Rob O'Neill for giving me a few minutes of his time today, as well as Eric Trump and Bill Brown. Uh, it's been a great program for me. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm going to close it out here right now. I know it's been a long-winded, long show, longest one I've ever done here on Rumble, but I appreciate you sticking with it. And uh, follow me on Twitter, formerly known as X, or what I said that backwards. Follow me on X at Alec Lace. I will give you all the upcoming guest announcements, working my best to get guests for you guys next week. And I'm just blessed to be here. And uh, please, if you could, just help me out with a follow on the channel here on Rumble. And I will catch you guys next week, Tuesday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live here on Rumble. All right, so that's all I got for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. God bless all you parents out there. God bless all of our veterans and our uh, military, our active duty, our first responders. Uh, God bless America, and I will catch you guys next week. Have a great weekend. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood. You're listening to The Alec Lace Show. The future is family.